You are listening to audio from Life Community Church located in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about our ministry or to financially support God's ministry through us, please visit www.lifeccalexandria.org. You'll now join Pastor Reed Bradley as he brings us the message for today. All right, good morning, everybody. Go ahead, find your way back to your seats. Welcome again this morning. My name is Reed Bradley. I'm one of the pastors here at Life, and I'm excited to be bringing us into God's Word through the book of Luke. We're going to be continuing with our series today, and uh, I'm just excited to be here. Let me go ahead and say a word of prayer as we get started. Lord God, we just ask that you would open our hearts to receive your Word, that it would sink deep into us, that it would grow and transform us that we would be a people who bring glory to you, our Savior and Lord. In your name we pray, amen. I'm always excited to come to church, especially during the season of Advent. I love the Christmas season. I love everything about it. It is my favorite season of the year. Uh, and that's I'll saying a lot because... May, June, July is my birthday, my three children's birthday, my anniversary. I mean, I have a lot of really good stuff concentrated on the opposite end of the year. But for me, Christmas is, is the greatest celebration. I love the decorations. I love the weather. I know not everybody does, but for me, I'm a big fan. And I love so much about it. And today we're going to be reading a very familiar passage to many of us who've grown up in church, and I want to challenge us to push past our familiarity to really be able to hear the important things that are there, that that God is trying to tell us through his word. And so with that in mind, I'm going to read it for us, and then we're going to talk for a minute about the culture that we live in, and then we're going to read it again. Okay, so I just want you to know ahead of time, and it's not because I have some kind of quota. For those of you who've been here long enough to know, I like to read a lot of verses. It's not because Pastor Ryan said I could only preach on 12, and so I have to read the 12 twice to meet a quota. That's not why. Uh, I promise there's, there's a reason. So let's go ahead. We're going to read in chapter 1 of Luke, and we're going to read starting in verse 26, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. As we begin and we enter into the Christmas season, a time that is familiar for many of us, it is undeniable and, and very obvious, perhaps if you've grown up in church, you've heard it said over and over and over again, that there, there's a lot of temptation, particularly for the world around us, that they celebrate Christmas, but it's without Jesus. That there is this temptation to sort of crowd out Christ from the celebration. And this happens in a variety of different ways. It's not a new problem that we've all of a sudden found ourselves trapped by all the trappings of Christmas, that we've found ourselves lost in the sea of secondary characters, wondering about the donkey and the camels and all sorts of people inventing new people, and all of them secondary to the primary person who we know is supposed to be Jesus. And, and the reality is we live in a culture that is very good at crowding out Christ. And you see this especially during the holiday season, that, that not only is there no room at the end, there's really no room in our life for Jesus outside of one, two. Now we're kind of getting into third, right? I saw some Christmas stuff going up after Halloween, like, or like even a little bit before. That was a little bit bizarre for me. But, you know, it's, it's spreading a little bit, but without Jesus, right? And we find ourselves in a place where people are willing to tolerate the baby, but they are all the same raging against the king. That people love baby Jesus and can't stand Jesus the God-man, Jesus the king over all of creation. That they love Jesus, as long as he can't speak, essentially, because as soon as he starts talking, they don't really like the things that he has to say about their lives, about the requirements. And it's actually very interesting to me if you look at all of the different cultural celebrations and phenomenon that go around and sort of replace Jesus in a lot of the celebrations, these traditions. You've got, you know, elves, and you've got Santa, and you've got all of these different things, right, that people will add in. And it's all kinds of different forms of accountability, but it still makes our culture and us uncomfortable, and so we push those about as far away as we can get them while still sort of having them there, right? So we got our elves, you keep them on the shelf, don't want them too close, right? The clauses, we banish them to the poles, right? You get out of here. I don't think they could see that well from that distance. And Jesus, Jesus, we confine to the first couple verses of the second chapter of Luke, right? He's a little baby. He's cute. He's in a manger. And that's the end of the story. And I just want to mention that because our temptation as we look in this passage is to miss this grand declaration from an angel of God about a Messiah, a king who's going to be born, and all of the glories of Christ that are revealed in this passage. And we ask questions like, well, what is Mary thinking? Now, we're going, to have, we're going to talk about Mary. 
We're going to see some really incredible lessons we can learn from her response. But let's not miss the glories of Christ as we think about his first coming. Let's not miss the fact that, yes, Jesus came as a baby, but almost every one of the announcements about his birth talk about him reigning as king, talk about him being preeminent over all of creation, talk about him rescuing and saving his people. That in the Bible, he's never just a baby. He's a king, and he was born that way. So, with that in our mind, we're going to go ahead, we're going to reread that set of verses. So, back again, chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We begin and we enter into this scene, and there's this surprising news to the unexpected. Right? We've started the book of Luke, and, and God sends the angel, and he goes to an elderly couple who had been trying to have a child for a long time and been unsuccessful. They had been barren, praying and seeking the Lord. And not only are they seeking the Lord, but they're within the priesthood. And so Zechariah, he goes before, in the temple of the Lord, before the holy presence of the Lord, to burn incense. And it's there that the angel shows up, while not expected, not surprising necessarily. If you were going to send an angel, you would imagine to send them to Jerusalem, to send them to the temple, the place where the people are seeking God. And surely you'll find somebody who is receptive to the message that is to be delivered there of all places. And yet we have here a contrast that is set up between the birth of Jesus and his announcement and the birth of John, John the baptizer and his announcement, who would be the forerunner of Christ preparing the people. And while Mary receives it wholeheartedly and accepts and surrenders to the Lord, Zechariah is 
stubborn and, and doubtful and wondering if there's going to be any proof that is provided. But even in the midst of all of this, Gabriel comes and he goes not to Jerusalem, but to Nazareth, a small, insignificant, away out in the middle of nowhere kind of town, a place that is not near Jerusalem, that is not near the centers of worship. And not only does he go out in the midst, but he goes to a young woman, a young virgin, Mary. Mary, who by most people's account was probably very young by our standards, but not so young by the standards of the ancient world, a young teenager at most. She was not expecting this sort of news. She was not seeking to achieve anything along these lines. This wasn't during a moment of worship. This wasn't during a time where she had offered up sacrifices and God sends a message in response. This just happens. Unsought. And yet here is the messenger. It parallels a lot of angel appearances in the Old Testament where they announce good news and the response is almost always fear. Because if you were a God-fearing person, you know that angels come and it's good news for God's people and it's bad news for God's enemies. And you never really wanted to assume that you were going to be in the clear until the angel told you so. So she's afraid. The angel reassures her and gives her this news. And this news is all about the coming Christ. And I want us to consider this as we look at Jesus described here because it is the same Jesus that is Christ for us today. That this isn't something that is unique about his birth state, right? But that this is who Jesus is, who Jesus will be and who Jesus is forever. And that this is true not only of his first coming, born in Bethlehem, but his return, his second coming, that this is who Jesus will be when he comes back. And as we have said, and will continue to say throughout our celebration of Advent, it's not only remembering Jesus coming to earth in his incarnation, but it's looking forward to his return, that Jesus is alive and that he is coming back. And so, with that said, let's consider some of these things about this coming Christ. The first thing is that you'll call his name Jesus. And any time a name is given by God to a child, or to anyone for that matter, there is significance in the meaning. And Jesus, or Joshua, as it is in the Hebrew, right? It means the Lord is salvation. And the fact that God would name this child Jesus is incredibly significant. It's incredibly significant because it ties Jesus directly to the prophecies about the Messiah and about God's work for the people of Israel. 
You could look back over and over and over again through the prophets and the development of this idea, the Messiah who would come, and they would give a little bit more detail and a little bit more detail and a little bit more detail. And one of the most incredible pictures is you see at one point in time in the uh, prophet Zechariah that there's the high priest at that time is named Joshua, and they say, bring him out, and you're going to set a crown on his head, and there's going to be this king who's also a priest who is going to be named Joshua, and I'm going to, this is a prototype of what this Messiah is going to be like. And this is, and so Jesus, Joshua, right? All, all of a sudden you start seeing these connections. And then Zechariah is the same one who talks about, behold, the king is coming, gentle and lowly, riding on a donkey. We're like, wait a second, I recognize that. I, you know, I've read some of the gospels. I, Jesus, from his very naming, is being tied back to these Old Testament passages, that this is a person who is expected, and at the very mention of this is the name that you're to give this person, Mary knows this is way more significant than anything that's happened in my life, and probably anybody that I know up to this point. God doesn't just give the Lord of salvation as a name to anybody. But he keeps going. He goes on and he says, he will be great. And you think, okay, right? But the significance here is that there's no qualifications on this whatsoever. And that, again, this parallels the account of John's birth. And when he talks about John, the angel talks to Zechariah, right? John's dad and says, and he's going to be great before the Lord. And, and, and there's these qualifiers on the greatness of John. He's great, but it's limited, right? He's great, but like as a man or a prophet would be great, right? He's great. This Jesus who's going to be born, he's just great, period. Great. Not qualified, not limited, but truly great in and of himself. Not only this, but we see that he is the son of the Most High. And later in the reiterating of God's plan, it's, he's, he's the son of God. The son of God. And while... There have been times throughout the history of Israel and God's people where God will designate a people as his child and will say things like, they're like a son to me. This is something completely different. That this person will not simply be the son of so-and-so the son of Mary, the son of Joseph, but will be the son of the Most High, the son of God. That Christ in himself is, is fully God, even as much as he is fully man. It's incredible, and you hear in the plan and how this all works out that it's the Holy Spirit that comes in and overshadows Mary. In other words, I don't think we were to take it and to say, well, like, you know, it's like half Mary and half God, right? It's a demigod. It's a half God. That's what Jesus is. No, no, no. He, he, he overshadows. He, it is all God. That doesn't take anything away from his humanness that he puts on humanity, 
but he doesn't lose or sacrifice anything of his deity. That Christ is fully God, the Son of the Most High. Tying still further into this idea of the Messiah, the angel says, he will receive, he will sit on the throne of his father David. The throne of his father David. He will be a king, not only a king, but a king on a promised throne. That as you turn back to God's conversation with David in 2 Samuel, you can find it in chapter 7 if you're interested afterwards. You, you can turn, you can find there that, that God talks to David and he says, your throne is just going to, it's going to keep going. It's going to be forever. There's always going to be somebody from your lineage on the throne. And it's not qualified, right? It's a covenant between God and David that is everlasting. And the expectation of the Messiah would that be he'd come from the house of David as God promised and that he would reign as king on that throne. There was confusion over what that was going to look like. But they were waiting. Mary knew when she heard on the throne of his father David, she's like, That's, this is, if she didn't get it at this point, she knows it's the Messiah. This is the Messiah. The forever kingdom, this, this kingship that would be passed on over and over and over again, no matter the unfaithfulness of any ruler at any point in time, God would keep that promise to David. And every faithful son was always tied back to David on that line. God remembered his promises. But it goes even a step further than just that, that this isn't just going to be any king like all of the kings who've come before, all of the heirs, all of the sons of David. But it says you'll reign, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. This, this is different than David who lay in his tomb. This is different than Solomon who had great splendor and wisdom for a time. A king who would reign forever? No end? No limits? A breaking of the cycle of brokenness that had occurred over and over and over again throughout the history of Israel, but also the world. That you would have a ruler come in who was faithful to the Lord in all things. And the people would turn back to the Lord. But then the son, not so faithful. And then the son's son, really not so faithful. And then you would get a, a resurgence and somebody would turn back and there would be reform and everyone would praise the Lord and then that king would die. Over and over and over again, we see that cycle played out throughout history. We see it played out even in our own political landscape of the world we live in today. I got news for you guys. Four years isn't enough to change the world. Eight years, still not enough. It doesn't matter how many years you have. As long as it's qualified in years, not enough. But we have a forever king 
who is actively changing and working in the world around him. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. There's this incredible vision I just want to mention in the book of Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar has, right? He has this dream and he sees this statue, right? And there's the gold top and the silver and then the bronze, right? And it's all representing different empires, different kingdoms. You can go look in the book of Daniel and nobody can interpret it. Nobody can figure it out. Daniel comes up and says, this is what it's about. But the, the most amazing thing, which people almost never remember when they're talking about the story, is that the statue's all there, and then all of a sudden this giant boulder comes down and just smashes the statue to pieces and then becomes this mountain that just fills the earth. And the idea is, yeah, there's going to be a kingdom that's going to come, and it's just going to expand, and it's gonna, all of these others are going to be so lame in comparison. Like this, this statue, is, this, it's nothing. But this kingdom that is coming, this mountain, yeah, it's not going to move except it's going to expand. It's, it is going to be a kingdom unlike anything that the earth has ever seen. That's, that's Christ. Right? The boulder that rolls down the hill and smashes everything and becomes a kingdom that lasts forever. This is who this Jesus is that is being announced. And I think it's appropriate for us during this season to pause, to remember, to think, of course, of the humility of Christ to come down in such a manner, but to remember who Christ is, that he does all of these things because he is king on the throne of David, because he is the one reigning over the house of Jacob, of whose kingdom will go on forever and there will be no end. This is the Jesus. Much scarier than the child wrapped in swaddling clothes. This is the king who is robed in splendor, no longer laid in a manger, but at whose feet will have his enemies laid. And when Christ returns... It will be in triumph. This is incredible news. This is incredible news. How can we respond? And I think we can take our cues from Mary. Mary gives two responses, and I want to focus on these and talk about the faithful response. The first thing that she says when she hears this incredible news is she says, how will this be? Right? And I think we can be tempted to think she's talking like mechanically. Like, I, I'm a virgin. I'm not married. I haven't been acting like I'm married. Right? So how does this work? Right? She's a young teenager, but she presumably has some understanding of biology. How does this work? No. I think this is more of a voluntary nature that we see summarized in her second statement, which is more, all right, I'm in. I'm in. You had me at the name Jesus. I'm in. What do I do? How will this be? You said son of David. So does that mean I do marry Joseph? Do we need to bump up the wedding? Do we, how does this happen? 
Gabriel, I'm here. I, that plan sounds amazing. That is the best news ever. I'm in. What do I do? How does this happen? Just tell me. He explains that this is not something for you to accomplish, Mary. This is God is going to accomplish this. Nothing is impossible with God. He's going to overshadow you. He's going to do all the things. And that's how the baby is going to be born. And what does she say? Let it be to me according to your word. Right? If you want to put it in our modern language, go for it. Go for it. I'm in. Go for it. I don't need any more information, Gabriel. I don't need to know the specifics. I don't need to know how all of this is going to play out. I don't need to worry about what my family is going to think or what Joseph's going to think. I, I'm in. Go for it. Do exactly what you, I Salvation for all people, the salvation of the Lord, the Messiah being born, I'm in. We see Mary's excited submission to God's plan and her total surrender to God's power. And this is really what our response should be to the good news of who Christ is today. An excited submission to God's plan and a total surrender to God's power. When you think about the throne of Christ, when you think about Jesus as king, whose word is law, whose covenant is grace, who by his blood has redeemed you to be part of his people. And this incredible salvation accomplished by God. What does it look like in your life to be excited to give yourself over to his plan? If God comes to you in his word and says, this is what your life is going to look like now. This is, this is my standard of righteousness that I'm going to bring about in your heart and in your works. Do we hear that and we say, oh, I'm in. I, I am so in, God. I've got this great news. I want to work not only in your life, but in the lives of your coworkers, and I want to work in the lives of the family that you have around you. And I'm chosen to use you because you already know me. So, and you say, I'm in. I'm in. Salvation and good news spreading and, and, and Christ reigning and his kingdom growing. I'm in. I'm in. God, what do I do? And when he gives the opportunities and when he provides and when he does the work and when all of these happen in our lives, is it, is it an attitude of total surrender to God's power? To say, I'm in, however you want to, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. Exactly to me as you have said. Transform me to be more like you, Jesus. Give me opportunities to speak your truth and love out into the world, even though the world is not going to like it. Because you're going on behalf of the king. 
we already talked about at the beginning that kings are not very acceptable in the world that we live in. Babies we tolerate. Kings we don't like. For you and your home this Christmas season, will you embrace the good news of Christ the Lord? Of whom the angels sing glory, of whom the world has been yearning and waiting for. This is Christ the Lord. This is Christ the King. Let me say a prayer for us and we'll close in some song. Lord God, there is none like you. And we ask that during this season of wonderful celebration and joy and generosity, all of which are beautiful things that point to you, Lord Jesus, let us not forget that they are indeed just pointers to you. A king and a savior born to us to redeem us out of our sinful rejection of God and bring us back. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would press upon our hearts the joy of your return when all will be made right and when we will gather together around your throne. Lord Jesus, be glorified now in this day and in this time. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Life Community Church Alexandria. We believe that there should be no anonymous Christians, so we would love for you to visit and worship with us Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Please visit www.lifeccalexandria.org for more information. Thank you, and God bless.